0: A warning there's some foul language in this episode and references to mature themes. Yeah, I am.
1: Well, okay. I'm going to do something over here.
0: Oh, okay, okay. I didn't want to... Nah, nah. to. At the moment, I'm nervous, nope. but pretending not to be. I'm about 100 feet away from a pair of police cruisers parked at the nearby CTA train entrance in Logan Square. And I'm a body length away from someone who's in the middle of committing an illegal act. And I don't want to do anything that would draw attention to him. He's a graffiti artist, or street artist, and this is his world. Let's
1: see if I can like, make him look uh,
0: cooler. Yeah. And he's done this kind of thing countless times. I'm producer Joe Deso. This week, we're answering a question sent to us by Judy Glazer.
2: Lately, I've been noticing these painted designs on electrical boxes around town.
0: I see them all over Chicago and in all neighborhoods. At first, she thought these spray-painted, minimalist designs were just some kind of doodle. Some look like little tornadoes, and others just like a splotch, and I'm curious who's doing it. It's this guy I'm with, Juice, which is his gnome de plume, or gnome de spray can, as it were, which you can see splayed across walls, subway cars, and electrical boxes across the city. Yes, there's the splotches Judy's asking about. But Juice is also behind much larger and more intricate pieces. Most people don't know who Juice is, like his legal name, that is. He's operated in the underground for years, and like many in the scene, anonymity helps protect him from the long arm of the law. For Juice, this rogue artistry, it's a rush, almost a necessity. I can see it in his face. Juice's journey to becoming one of the most prolific street artists in the city Is a long one born of addiction, perseverance, and redemption. Up next, we meet Juice and hit Chicago's largest art gallery, the city itself. Stick around. Back in 2019, my colleague at the Chicago Sun-Times, Robert Hergeth, started a weekly series at the paper called Murals and Mosaics. It explores and celebrates Chicago's vibrant street art. In 2023, he did a profile on Juice. Robert says the sheer volume of Juice's work is extraordinary.
2: Graffiti art and culture is kind of a young person's game, historically. Juice came at this really kind of late in life. I think it was his 30s. And Juice is just starting his street career as an artist at that age and stage. So to me, that was just fascinating. Juice's work takes
0: many forms, like the electrical boxes our listener Judy saw.
2: To me, it's a haze. It's like this haze of paint. And it's like, is it a shadow? Is it—is it a silhouette? What is it? And... I think that's what he likes. He gets a kick out of tricking people and making people take a second look at something.
0: Juice's other work ranges from small tags of his name graffitied out to large-scale, intricately drawn murals.
2: Juice's stuff is very abstract and very wavy, and he would call it liquid. You know, it's a sort of blend of, like, abstract art and graffiti art and mural art. It all kind of comes together.
0: In a city tripping and talented street artists, Robert says there's just something next level about Jesus' work.
2: It's just I've never seen anything like this guy's stuff. It's brilliant stuff. And so, you know, you can talk about the legality and I did point that out, you know, I'm not trying to glorify or encourage it, you know, but I, I, I want to capture it, what it is. And, and what it is is, is pretty amazing.
0: I'm at the base of the monument in the heart of Logan Square. It's an early winter day, and I'm waiting for juice. There are no photos of his face available anywhere, because anonymity. I just know he's tallish and lean. He told me he'd be wearing an orange coat. After a while, I see someone walking up who has an urgency to his gait. We call out to each other, but his outfit's throwing me off. I realize what it is. Like, something we have in common... What's that? Is muscle colorblind, like red-green? Yup. It's rough. So, so that does not look orange to me. What do you think it looks like? It looks like mustard color. I bring up his colorblindness because we're both red-green colorblind, which means that shades of either color, or any mixture of them with another, just looks different to us. Like uh, purples, sometimes look blue to me. For me, it's not so much a big deal. Maybe I mismatched an outfit. But for Juice it poses a bigger challenge because, well, his whole world is color. So how does this colorblind guy end up becoming one of the most active street artists around the city? Truth is, it's a windy, twisty path to where he is today. Juice grew up in a small town in central Illinois where, as a kid, he loved visual art and music. By his adolescence, he was playing all sorts of instruments and joining all sorts of bands. Literally everything from marching band to a death metal group. Drugs also began to enter the picture. I didn't even drink. It was just
1: like LSD and mushrooms and marijuana. I took it because uh, you know, my parents wouldn't have wanted me to, so I took it because of that. And then, too, other people
0: were taking it, too. I'm like, no one was forcing me to do it. He said that a lot of the people who were into some of the electronic and jungle music he was into were also taking those same drugs. So it kind of fit for him. Juice began to gravitate toward artists like Nine Inch Nails with their intensity. Or DJ Crush, whose layering and sampling blew his mind when he first heard it. I had no idea how the music was being made.
1: Just imagine this Japanese guy with, like, 60 turntables trying to keep them all going. Yeah. And I found out later it was actually a sampler that he was using. Chu <laughs>
0: so says that at 16, he was diagnosed with ADHD and was prescribed Adderall to help regulate his hyperactivity. He says it crowned him. In college, Juice became even more ingrained in music and DJ culture. He'd DJ parties, shows, make beats, and connect with artists. Like this one guy from the scene. I was rapping at the time, or like trying to rap, and he would send me beats and stuff. This is Stuck, who became friends with Juice back in the day. Where I'm from isn't too far away, so like I would come out there for parties and stuff like that, and we'd just hang out. They'd even collaborate on songs now and then. Stuck doesn't know if they ever put anything out, but... I'm sure stuff probably hit, like, MySpace or something like that, but, you know, that's digitally gone forever, I think, at this point. Fast forward to 2010. Juice is now out of college, in his late 20s, and in Chicago. He's teaching music and becoming part of the DJ scene here. Music was Juice's comfort zone, but he started to fall deeper into his drug use... By his 30s, Juice says the grounded feeling he was getting from his prescription medication wasn't enough anymore. Says he abused it more and more. Eventually, he lost his job. When you become
1: become irresponsible with substance abuse, you start going towards things that you don't have health insurance anymore, so you're not getting that prescription. So you start going towards things that are like
0: harder-manufactured amphetamines, crystal methamphetamine. The spiral continued. His relationships went to hell. He even quit music. He'd hit the proverbial rock bottom.
1: It was just too much. I couldn't get up in the morning without it, and I had no emotions other than anger and, uh, and sadness. Just didn't want to be around, man. And not someone you wanted to be around either.
0: So I told my parents that he had gone too far. I didn't know how to get back. His parents helped get him into rehab, and Juice began his path to sobriety. Then, something slowly started coming back into his life, something that would eventually help pull him through to the other side. Art, painting. Step by step through the recovery process, the haze of addiction slowly faded.
1: And I was a lot more acute to like noticing my surroundings for once, and I was noticing a lot of art around me.
0: Around this time, Juice had a friend who was in art school. The guy had a project making these artsy posters, and he wanted to discreetly paste them up in public spaces. But he had a problem.
1: He is on probation, so he was, like, real scared about doing it in the street. I didn't give a fuck. I would do it for him. I just got a rush out of it, you know? It felt like I was going to puke.
0: It was a rush that felt familiar in ways, only healthier. He leaned into it. But soon, he realized he needed something more.
1: And I was like, man, I need to make my own stuff to put up, like, to get this feeling. You can imagine how painting something on a wall after that felt
0: like this is just water and paper. He started creating intricate stencils inspired by his struggle with addiction. Midway through his 12-step recovery, another friend put a bug in his ear told him he should check out a graffiti piece in the neighborhood.
1: He showed me this one, I don't even remember who it was, but I was like, that is kind of cool. And then
0: I just kept looking at it. Juice knew this is what he wanted to do next with his art. Only, he didn't quite know how. And that's when I found Campus. If you were involved in street art and graffiti in the mid-2010s, you likely knew about Campus in Logan Square. On its face, it posed as many things a resale shop for shoes, an apparel store. But they'd also rent out space for art shows and other private events. But for street artists, it was much more. A supply shop where you could buy spray paint, which was and is illegal to buy in the city of Chicago, and related paraphernalia. It was a private club for known painters. The guy who ran it, Sean, did a,
1: a beautiful thing for the graffiti community around here. It's a safe place for writers, a safer place for writers. And unfortunately, he passed away, so uh, shout out to Sean.
0: Juice's first visit wasn't so smooth.
1: I went over there. I was like, I heard you guys saw paint.
0: <laughs> and they were like, who told you that? The people at campus were a little suspicious of Juice. He didn't know anyone in the graffiti community. But they did let him poke around. He was like, well, you can at least check out the backyard. We've got like a CTA train
1: built out of wood and some walls. Someone's back there painting right now. Juice reunited with an old
0: friend from his DJing days.
1: And I open the door up, and the guy who's painting is stuck. I haven't seen stuck in years. I have my
0: you know nose to the wall,
1: and, and I hear, Rye bread? Because everybody used to call me Rye bread. My real name's Ryan. And, uh, and there he is. And I was like, I know that guy. I look up, and it was this guy. And he's like, what's up, man? I need somebody to vouch for me to buy spray paint. And I was like, oh, all right. And they're like, yeah, let's get you a car then.
0: <laughs> so I was able to get paint. Campus provided everything Juice would need to become the street artist he wanted to. The paint, the practice space, and the community. And after a year or so of going there, buying paint, owner Sean hired Juice. As time went on, Juice was given even more responsibilities at the shop, which presented him with another problem.
1: They had me ordering all this paint and shit, man. I was colorblind. Fucking up a lot with that. (laughs) Yeah. One time I accidentally ordered, like, 60 cans of lavender or something like that. I had to hide it in the basement. Like, what the fuck's going on? Why don't we have any blacks? And where's all this lavender coming from?
0: Juice says that at first, the stuff he was painting wasn't so good. I mean, that's the cost of entry
1: for doing graffiti. Because it looked like a fool in front of the entire city of millions of people
0: for at least a year. In street art, Juice had found his people. Commonality in art, and sometimes in struggle. Graffiti's full of broken people, man. Myself included. And it's kind of like, you know,
1: something we all have in common. It's like, some people grew up really hard. Some people grew up misunderstood. Some people grew up with addictions. We all grew up seeing a lot of people die, and that never stops. People really be dying like once a month in this scene. It's like You name it, man. Sudden death, getting hit by trains, shot, stabbed, overdose. Uh, and all of, those, all of those things I just said are ways that I've known specifically people within
0: the graffiti scene have died. Rest in peace to all of them. Despite the tragedies, he's always painting. His work is up everywhere in the city, it seems. This is life for many street artists. Up next, how Juice's artwork comes together, and how the canvas known as Chicago helped him back on the road to recovery, one spray can at a time. Stay with us. That's me right there. That's you? Yep. Juice is taking me on an impromptu walking tour of his work. Milwaukee Avenue and the alleys and side streets off of it is his gallery. Logan Square, the main room. Chicago, his Guggenheim. Hanging on the great walls are bus-sized murals. He takes me to one and starts describing his approach to it. Man, I was just trying to uh, make it look tight says my name, and it's like a,
1: a kind of style that I, I developed.
0: It looks like an alien planet from a sci-fi movie. Mountainous regions just hovering in the air, well above the planet's surface. For the color scheme, he said he just grabbed a bunch of half-empty spray cans and threw a bunch of different colors together and went from there. All sorts of blues and reds and yellow. And black. It's pretty intricate. Partially planned out, but mostly improvised. Like, the background I'll plan out kind of had
1: a little bit of a plan to do, like, the land shit at the bottom. But other than that, just do a J and a an S S, and there's some crazy shit in the middle. Just kind of O's. <laughs> Where's the J? Where's the S? The J's there.
0: When I think of people doing graffiti and street art, I think of them doing it under the cover of night. Sneaking spray cans and backpacks and wearing all black to evade any unwanted attention or capture. Which is often the case. But this wall, there's no cover at all. An open field where Logan and Milwaukee connect for all to gaze. I'm wondering, how do you pull this massive piece off? It's one of those
1: act-like-you're-supposed-to-be-here pieces. Where you show up Sunday morning at 6 or 7 in the morning and roll the wall. Act
0: like you're supposed to be there. He says if it's a group of people painting together, they designate one person to do the talking. Anyone that walks up
1: and wants to talk, that person talks
0: to them, and everybody else just keeps painting like it's, like it's their job. It's supposed to be. Doing. Exactly. You don't even turn around. Juice's spidey senses have served him well. He's been caught a time or two, but largely avoided authorities while doing his street art. Which makes him pretty lucky, too. Putting up unsolicited street art, whether big murals like the one we're standing in front of or some small tags, is not without substantial risk. Sometimes the cops turn an eye. But getting caught, depending on the dollar amount of damage done, can be life-changingly bad. Ranging from a slap-on-the-wrist misdemeanor to a felony conviction. One guy I spoke with for this story says that he did prison time over a year just for putting up his art. Still, evading the police is part of the rush. Juice tells me about one time near where we're at, where the blue line L train goes underground. He and friends were down there, throwing up quick pieces, when, all of a sudden...
1: He got chased by the police, up the ramp, off the ramp. My friend hurt himself. I had to go back and uh, carry him out cops everywhere, and there's thunderstorms,
0: it's a a fun time. They scurried away, and Juice put down his injured friend so the guy could hide while Juice and others dashed off. I was like Ferris Bueller style in the backyards that-a-way. Me and this other dude ran, and he ordered an Uber. After escaping in the ride share, Juice gets a call from his injured friend who says he can't walk and needs help. There's like police everywhere, and
1: I went and changed my clothes and came back for him got to look different than what goes out on the radio. Got him out.
0: Despite what seems reckless to me, juice is not as cavalier as you might glean.
1: If it's in the street, there's a million variables that could go wrong and right. The street is unpredictable. So you got to, like, study the street a lot. You got to study the area a lot.
0: He told one interviewer that he scoped out a spot for more than a year before striking figuring out what security was in place, what time of day or night to go. Our tour continues. We're in an alleyway about a half a block away from the mural. Juice's head is bobbing all around, seemingly looking to see if it's safe to spray something. I'm going to do
1: one of these little bubbles that this uh, woman was asking about.
0: He's talking about our question asker, Judy, and the style he uses on city utility boxes. It's called side spray, or Juice shapes out cloudy designs using a special spraying technique. Somewhere along the way, as he's been doing these, someone called them juice boxes, because, you know. Unlike the Guggenheim, when you do street art or graffiti, you come to terms with the fact that this art exhibit is wholly temporary. Juice often takes photos to remember his work. Sometimes, like the mural he first showed me, it's up for months or even years. He says some of the stuff he first did when he got into painting is still around. But others are gone within hours, painted over or buffed away by city workers.
1: I'm cool with it. I paint it. It's gone the next day. It feels good to know that you know, you're not invincible. The next day buff, it humbles you. You could spend all night working on something that's gone the next day. uh, You can either get mad about it or you can go do something else.
0: And when there's a project street artists want to take on, but the wall is already painted. We buff too.
1: I got buffed. Who's buffing? Who's got the buff?
0: (laughs) By and large, there's a lot of respect between and among artists. But it's not always the case. We hit another gallery wall a little further up on Milwaukee. Did you do all of this? No. It's a wall that people were going back and forth over for a while. One artist had put up a mural, and graffiti guys kept painting over it. Bombing it, as they call it. It went back and forth like that till, one day, someone ended up getting beaten up pretty badly. It's a different kind of Guggenheim.
1: What's that? I'm brainstorming what I'm going to do. On what? That looks kind of cool right there.
0: On the flip side, sometimes there are graffiti art community efforts to preserve what's there. Juice told me about a project in Westtown where he and some other artists went there to help restore a mural of monarch butterflies that Juice says has been up there since the 1980s. Even people in the neighborhood were on board and brought them out ladders to hit the high spots. But whether it's the city or the artists and taggers, everyone knows to expect the temporary. Everything is ephemeral.
1: That's why you just got to continue to paint so that that it's going to always be there. It may not be in the same place, but there's always going to be something there as long as you keep it up.
0: Nowadays, a lot of street and graffiti artists are making a living off of their work. You can see it in galleries and museums. Robert Hergeth of the Sun-Times says, in part, that's due to a shift in philosophy in the larger art and advertising community.
2: 10, 20, 30 years ago, this was not necessarily seen as an art form, and now it is. There's a number of street artists that started out on the streets, running for the cops or whatever, and now they're getting hired by some corporation to do a hip mural. Juice
0: even has work up in galleries from time to time. He's done commission pieces, too. Robert says people have taken a great interest in street art and Juice's talent.
2: This is a guy who, I mean, you know, could be the next Banksy. I mean, I would not be surprised if in 10 years we're talking about Juice on a more national or international level just because his creativity is such and his drive is such and he's just really good and daring and interesting.
0: But you says he's actually been pulling away from those kinds of opportunities, like commissioned work. It's not really his style. He tells me he doesn't want it to feel like a job. It's more so like a harm reduction
1: type of technique for doing drugs.
0: This is...
1: Yeah, definitely. Cause I get that rush, same kind of rush. It's it's definitely. it's dopamine, it's dopamine, yeah, and adrenaline, like a really alive feeling. You never feel more alive than when you're out there doing something you're not supposed to do, and your freedom might be involved. And then you get more of a rush after it when you turn around and see people have seen you, and uh, someone out there was happy that
0: you did it. <laughs> If you'd like to go on a tour of Juice's work around the city, head to wbez.org CuriousCity. We've got tons of photos there for you to check out. Curious City is a production of WBEZ Chicago and is part of the NPR Network. The show is produced by me and Jason Mark. Maggie Sivett is the digital and engagement producer. Suzy Ann is our editor. I'm Joe Dassault. Thanks for listening.